Okay, with Chris Hurd Saunders, The Slow Death is a short film played at the Sci-Fi Fantasy Film Festival. This is a pretty, I'm going to be cliche here, but it's a pretty trippy film. And I'm just going to lay out the synopsis to give people some context. A, a disturbed woman reanimates her recently deceased father's corpse in a twisted, ambitious experiment intended to save humanity from the ongoing climate crisis. That's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty crazy synopsis for a film. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me about the idea you wrote the screenplay where did this idea come from for you um a lot of different strange places uh but specifically i think the moment that really kind of birthed it was uh about five years ago um in between the summers i was working at a, an art camp out in uh the west or the east end um in that Toronto. was near like a ravine, yeah, out in Toronto, more closer out in Scarborough. Okay. Um, and I would get there early uh, in the morning just because I had to hitch ride with my mom at the time. So I would read. I'd read in the mornings. I'd have a lot of time to read in this really beautiful garden setting. And the first thing I read was uh, I wanted to read Frankenstein all the way through the original Frankenstein. Um, and I did that. And as I was reading it, my weird brain was like, you know, what's what's happening with Frankenstein and his hubris of wanting to make something partially partially for the betterment of humanity but mostly for his own ego i i, I personally found some parallels between that and and what was you know looming on the horizon to come and kill all these beautiful plants and and uh, trees that were around me which was of course you know climate change and the same mentality that a lot of the corporations and individuals have um in terms of you know is what you're doing the best thing for everyone or is it really the best thing for you and, and your um and then from that it just kind of kept going in my mind and it was weird i had i had originally thought it maybe it should be a feature and then i really wanted to make something i just you know i had, had been a while since i made a film and so uh through you know hell and high water i managed to take this really kind of amorphous concept and yeah. fine tune and fine tune and try and make it fit into a short format. And even then it still feels like I made a, a try to fit a circle into a square peg in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I think ultimately it, it uh, turned out to be its own strange little creature. And uh, I'm glad that I put it, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my team and, and Grateful to have so basically, some. Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein, the Doctor Frankenstein kind of had like a little bit of a god complex, and he yeah. was, and so he that's what that was his. It was a narcissistic kind of uh, enter, like he was doing it for himself in a lot of ways. And yeah, then, but your film, it's like it's sort of like like you said, you're trying to bring back the dad from the yeah. dead for mm -hmm. kind of for for humanity, I guess. Right? There's a there's an end. There's like an altruistic kind of ambitious kind of reason for it i guess that's what annie tells herself yeah um yeah, sure. and, yeah. you know um it's uh it's one of those things where you know i wanted people to uh look at penny and think uh, on one hand i understand why she's doing this and this is really incredible but on the other hand the way she's going about doing this is really maybe not very healthy at all um it's almost like in my opinion maybe she could have you know, started with just plants and maybe just kind of <laughs> to someone on the phone or reached out to people uh, instead of, you know, right to her dad's body. But um, some people don't have that option. Um, some people like Penny don't have that option. They don't have people in their life they feel they can 
talked to or reached out. And so they do stuff like pervert nature instead. That's an interesting point that you just made. It's like, it's about like, uh, we, we make misguided decisions based on our loneliness or, or basically, or basically just like having the wrong people in our lives sometimes, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, a, that's kind of a deep kind of concept to it. So then, so then, so you get, you, when did you, when you remember when you first started writing the script, like, cause you've done uh, short films in the past, right? Like you've done, you got a few, few short films under your, your belt and your, you kind of said in the blog interview that you kind of just did it cause you want to like keep making movies. You want to keep. Yeah. You don't want to stop, right? You don't want to, you don't want to lose them any momentum, I guess. Yeah. For, for better, for worse. Uh, this is what I want to do with my life, you know? And so then basically that's sort of like, and you said this was during COVID, I guess, or. Yeah. It's like the original first, like the very early draft was like, like November of 2019. Uh, and then as COVID popped up, I, you know, had a lot more free time on my hands and a lot more of a drive to make something of myself and do something with my life. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it just, just felt right at the time. And, um, I guess the COVID aspect, I mean, my, my producer Valentina definitely would agree that the COVID element made the story a little more palpable uh, in terms of her being stuck inside, uh, yeah. And and I think they'll and, and as, as well the whole thing with the uh, the mandate of people having to store their bodies if they have refrigeration was inspired a bit by what was happening in Italy because what was happening there was really tragic. And I, I know it wasn't just in Italy as well, but there was shortage of refrigeration and there were bodies being left outside and just being left in awful places. Um, so that was that I guess in a way set a bit of a precedent for me to to try and expand on that in a way hopefully not to feel exploitative of what was happening in Italy at the time but more of a you know what if we took what was happening with this virus and then applied it to an extreme kind of nightmare version of, of climate change see yeah that is interesting because we we're all going to die and basically but we the bodies remain <laughs> remain I don't want to get morbid but basically mean that like we don't just shrivel up into like into into nothingness we like we're dead but the bodies are there. And then of course there's like kind of like ideology or religious kind of uh, beliefs and what to do with that body. Cause some people just say it's dead. So just well, throw it away, I guess. Right. But then yeah. is that, is that morbid? I don't know. Like, it's like, it's like, because it is dead. The body is dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll, I just can't help but think that in, if we were in literally in the world of the slow death right now, and there was a shortage of, um, means to dispose of bodies or preserve bodies or just safely dispose of our dead um i can't help but think that if there were bodies all over the place outside that would cause a lot of issues um not just health wise but it would just really take people's morale down so again that was the impetus for me because I, I ultimately not to go too in there but it was ultimately about not having it be like oh she just stole her dad's body from some morgue and i wanted there to be like i wanted this to be forced on her in some way. yeah uh, and have her have to react to it. So, um, yeah, so it's just about that precedent of like, you know, A, what do we do to serve and respect our dead? It would also be like, what would it look like if this became, we had a window into a really awful scenario of there just being all, all over the place outdoors and in, in boiling weather. Yeah. 
So, okay, so, so this was your, like, this is your baby, like, you kind of funded it. This is your kind of, uh, like, self-funded, self-kind of, like, uh, crew and the cast and everything like that. Like, you just, you put it all together with your producer, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly how we get for better, for worse. Uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend everyone do it this way. Uh, if they are going to make a film on their own with their own money, I'd really recommend starting with something a lot uh, simpler than I did. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, because, you know, there are still some moments where I'm like, wow, was that a good decision I made or not? But all sorts of my favorite filmmakers, they had to do the same thing, whether it was Peter Jackson spent four years making his first film, Bad Taste, the splatter comedy, New Zealand splatter comedy, uh, all pretty much out of his own pocket. Um, but he just kept going at it and going at it and going at it. And then you know, now everyone knows who Peter Jackson is. Yeah, I'm he Sam did well, Peter right? Jackson. Sorry. Yeah. I said, yeah, he did well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where it's like, it's like, and, and again, just Scorsese has a really nice quote where he's like, um, don't just worry about what the industry's doing, like make your own industry or just don't, don't wait for permission. It's yeah. what a lot of a lot of my favorite filmmakers have said some version of that. So that's what I did. Um, here we okay, are. So tell, let's talk about putting it together. So let's talk about your cast. Where did you find yeah. your cast? Uh, our uh, wonderful casting director, Vanessa, um, through casting workbook. Uh, I knew Vanessa from Ryerson slash Toronto Metropolitan. And <laughs> People uh, I really don't know, they changed the name. It's a big school in Toronto, yeah. but they changed the name. Yeah, Toronto Metropolitan University was known as Ryerson. Um, so yeah, a, a good amount, not everyone, but a good amount of, of the crew were people I knew from film school. So Vanessa, uh, you know, came on board. We were on casting workbook. Uh, and it was a lot of fun because it was it was all, you know, um, on Zoom, the, yeah. the casting. This was in 2021, so it's still very COVID-oriented. Uh, but that was just a lot of fun because it felt great to be able to interact with actors and learn from them and observe how they took direction during the interviews yeah because a lot like i'm i'm a pretty introverted person and so i'm usually behind the camera so it was good to be interacting with generally speaking i, I think most actors are extroverts or at least they present themselves that way so it was just really interesting to get that dynamic of, you know, almost sort of proving to myself that I could do it because I, I definitely, you know, had some challenges uh, learning how to really properly relax and work with actors when I was in film school. So being able to do that and I feel like I had a second chance was really, really rewarding. And so like, so then you would just like, uh, like these were non-union actors that you, uh, who auditioned casting workbook? Mm-hmm. And then they would just do like a, you would do like a 10 minute audition on Zoom or, or something like that or? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, uh, there were, it, it was pretty crazy, man. There was like, and I don't know if it's just because people were starving for work or because they really liked the script, but uh, there were like 300 submissions for Penny and like a lot of submissions for the Mike, the Mercutian. And, yeah. uh, and of course, a lot for the dad. So it was just about like picking, you know, kind of going through. I, the first thing I went off was the look, like the, the look of how I was seeing Penny in my head, which was, Bit more, a bit more of a younger look. Yeah. Um, bit more, not not as much of a mature, as mature of a look. Um, so it was narrowing that down, and then watching all their their reels and and all, of, all everything they did to present. Uh, so you know, it was definitely a lot of work, uh, and 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 narrowing it down was tricky as well. But uh, I I think Lydia did a really great job, and she absolutely 
had the look. So, so that, that I'm glad that worked out. And then do you, did you work with the same cinematographer in the past or? Uh, no, no. Uh, Alex and Zach, this was new working with those guys. Uh, they did a real good job. They came on pretty last minute as we did have one uh, EP lined up, but they, they had to drop out for, for personal reasons. So yeah. those guys came in clutch and they did a really good job. They provided a lot of gear. Like a um, DP team? Like they were like gaffers yeah. and grips? And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because they, they knew each other really well. So at first it was like they, they were kind of, they were functioning sort of like a you know, two-headed entity in a way. So yeah, uh, and then they were also pretty hands-on with like, like they, we had a, we had a pretty tiny crew for camera and electrical, but um, they all knew each other and they all knew how to communicate with each other well. And uh, they brought a lot of their own gear. Um, they definitely saved me a lot of money. So big ups for those guys. And you did the sound design yourself. Is that correct? I did. I did. That was mostly a matter of not having enough money to hire someone and not really being able, you know, you can, you can, the film could take forever to make, but at a certain point I'm like, you know, I have enough uh, basic knowledge of, of sound design. So I'm going to just take a crack at it. And I, I made sure to share it with friends of mine who were a lot more sound and tech savvy who, you know, had some free time to watch the cut um and you know give me notes and you know i, I always have my first question was like does it sound like crap does it sound like total crap can you hear everything is this distracting they're like no that's okay just maybe make that a little quieter make that louder and uh and it was always and the other thing too is i i always make sure to write when i as early as the writing stage even earlier than that i always try and keep sound in mind because it's just so powerful uh in everything you know movies tv video games um so I I really just tried to have as much of that in the script or in my head. Um, and then some things like when you hear the baby crying in, in Frank's head wasn't originally the idea, but I realized there was, I wanted to try and see what else could I do to make, put us in the head of certain characters, even if they're uh, undead and acting crazy. I still wanted to at least do something to add more empathy or immersion for the character and what's great about sound is that you don't have to go out and reshoot a bunch of crap or do all this stuff. You just yeah. go online and find the sounds and just. But there's a certain on. artistry to doing it. Not it's not for everybody. Everybody's cup of tea. So I'm surprised that yeah. you are able to do it. Yeah, that's a pretty good sound design. So thank you. I'm surprised I did it this film, man. Because <laughs> it needs it, like in terms of like the, because it's like we're, we're like it's in terms of like the tone of the film it's like it's pretty grounded in reality but of course there's a obviously it's a f fantasy kind of sci-fi yeah. element to it but you kind of grounded it like this is a real this is like a movie that could that, that you know that that's in real life you know what i'm trying to say like it's like a yeah. so that sound design reflects on that it's like you're not trying to be you know it's a fantasy film, but you're not being fantasy with the with the with the with the tone, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's exactly what I was going for. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So yeah. So it's an interesting fine line, I guess. So it's like it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting film. So you got the cast, and then you got the, these these uh, the cinematographer guys, and then so you just where did you shoot it? Did you shoot it in someone's home, your home? Yeah. So this was again. This was uh, the Almighty. Uh, Valentina, my producer, she, her father lives in Woodbridge in quite a nice home. Um, so through her effort and her father, Aquino, and her stepmom, Lori, uh, 
made it all happen for us. Uh, you know, we made sure to shoot as respectfully as we could and not mess up anything. Very, very nice house. Um, they worked very hard to, to make it. And uh, so we made sure that we were, you know, doing the best we could. Uh, it was definitely a chaotic shoot, like like a lot of these low-budget shoots are. But uh, we made sure to stay, you know, respectful of the location and just really... Because it was a pretty much like a dream, a dream place to shoot in terms of having the pristine yeah. look of how I imagine the, the Galvinson's home would be, and also having this ominous basement area. And like that's that's what really made it possible was that little that little area where the lab was. It was a it was basically like a storage room in their basement uh, where we could mess around a bit more down there because it wasn't as pristine. Just doing stuff in the living room slash kitchen area upstairs was a lot more like make sure doesn't get too wet or this doesn't get scuffed or whatever so uh it was it was definitely challenging but it it uh like i said uh valentina and her and her family really you know made made it possible for us to have the film made when it was made uh the way it was made so so the really wood, woodbridge is part of uh vaughn i guess right yeah. because you have you yeah. kind of give tribute to vaughn and vaughn ontario in the end i guess right yeah, yeah, because I figured, like, you know, I was hoping I was, like, doing the land acknowledgement properly, um, but I figured, like, well, it was shot in Vaughn, so I might as well, you know, I feel like the accurate thing to do is put the land acknowledgement for Vaughn. Um, yeah, and it was fun for me, too, because I'm in, like, I'm in the upper beaches, so I got to, you know, hour and a half uh, Uber ride out there and back uh, to get to set, but that's, that's what you do. You're in Scarborough, right? Yeah, I'm in a weird spot. I'm like, I'm literally like right at like Scarborough and Toronto's like intersection. But where I'm situated, like like address wise, counts as Scarborough. So I, you know, I'm both. both. I remember like because I'm not going to say where you live, but basically, I remember yeah. your neighborhood. And I got actually where Gerard is. I got I got a speeding ticket, literally like like half a block away from where you live. Oh yeah, that'll that's it's Gerard's wacky. Gerard's yeah. a wacky street, and because uh, it was like fifteen, own... I was going like it was like I got I got accelerated because I used I used to do like this grocery store run. Yeah. So there was like um there's one I think a grocery store where you live, and then I was going to a no frills, and I was going down Gerard, and then I got yeah. I got pulled, but that was like my last speeding ticket I ever got. So oh, anyway, so... it was just like because I saw your 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 address, and I'm like I yeah. know this area, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know the cops will get you, man. Especially the on, cops will get yeah. you. But yeah. yeah, so then you're dead. Yeah, it is a pretty, it is a pretty uh, long, long way, right? It's like Toronto area, yeah. but it's still like it's still a pretty big trek from where you live to to uh, Woodbridge. Yeah, so, yeah, nice location, nice actor, uh, nice nice performances. Um, like like she, it's her film, right? Your your lead's film, like she's carrying the film, but. The dad role is not not an easy role, right? Like it's a pretty difficult, especially in the beginning. He's got some pretty intense, and if that's not real, the film kind of doesn't work, right? Yeah, and it was something I was definitely afraid of throughout the whole yeah. thing. Of like, uh, are they gonna look like Frankenstein? Or are they gonna look like one of the Three Stooges? Um, and thankfully, Casey, who just you know knocked out of the park, he understood because one of the first things I showed him was the film Reanimator, uh, and and the zombies in Reanimator they scream and flip out. They don't go, they're not like, like plastic Frankenstein, who's going to run. And they're yeah. not like, you know, generic sort of zombies. They're, they're in a lot of pain. That much you can know about the zombies in reanimator. At least the very first zombie that you see who comes up the table. 
uh, is just in a lot of pain. So it kind of started from there. And I also explained, like, you know, this is like a baby. That's essentially what he is. You're a big baby, but you don't look. Um, and so he just got it. That's that's just what, what I think really made it work, is that Casey understood everything, understood his backstory, understood what he was like when he was alive. He understood the the type of psychic and physical agony it must yeah one must feel being you know thrust back into life after being dead and frozen yeah it's, oh, you really yeah. can't uh find somebody to to share that experience with you right like yeah <laughs> one would assume right like that like finding a person like who came back from the dead uh and yeah that's that's, that's something you got to reach in from inside i guess right yeah exactly and it was you know god bless them all but a lot of the actors who a lot of the other auditions were they just didn't gather like, yeah. like okay it made it a little easier to try and narrow it down yeah well it's, we we're talking about too it's about tone right yeah. like it's gotta yeah. be ground it's the, this is a grounded reality film so yeah it's you can't be over the top i guess right so then, okay, without giving too much away, but you have a big, pretty intense fight scene in the end, at the end of the film. How mm -hmm. was that, the choreograph? Um, well, one one way I can look at it is is um, when we choreograph, when we went and did the you know, the blocking, we made scheduled a day just for blocking out that scene and, and you know pre-visiting it, and uh, it definitely felt like it was going to work out more on that day than it worked on the actual day. But part of, cause you know, it was definitely like, all I'll say is that when, when it's a busy shoot and you're running low on time and money, um, some things just don't occur to you in the moment uh, or to anyone else on the crew. So I definitely would have tried to have had things maybe be a bit more smoother and not feel as, you know, coordinated, but, I think what was able to save that was was uh, the editing of, of of Emma, my editor, just being able to know exactly when to like cut enough off the tail of one of the takes of him about to move, so it just doesn't you know look like it's stitched together. And Casey, you know, Casey's a really sweet guy, and he's a big guy too, so he definitely made sure. I think his instinct was to not lay, you know, get too aggressive, especially with Lydia because she's a lot smaller which was a really good considerate thing to do, but that was something that we also had to edit around. There were some moments where it was like he was stopping short a bit. And again, I understood that if we had like way more time, we would have made it look a lot more hardcore. But um, given given the restraints we had, I'm proud of how it turned out. Uh, it wasn't easy, but um, I've definitely, you know, I'm definitely going to try and avoid some fight scenes and at least for the next couple of films. For next fight, yeah, because it's not easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's, you know, and it's a little, it can, it, I, I just feel like um, if I'm going to do something really difficult like that with blocking next time, I want it to be something maybe a little different, maybe something with dancing. Dancing? Who knows? Another, well, it's another choreograph. It's in the same ballpark yeah. of choreograph, yeah. right? So, yeah. Some people say the, the fight sequences are harder than dance sequ uh, dance choreography, but just an FYI. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. So what? Uh, so what did you think about the audience uh, feedback that we sent you from our festival? Uh, again, man, I felt really honored because you know, first of all, like I'm in I'm in awards uh, mode right now, which is I'm sure a lot of indie filmmakers can attest is not always a very fun time. There's a lot of rejection. Kind of feels like I'm waiting to get a bunch of like report cards back in a way. Yeah. 
uh, oh, did I pass? Did I fail? Did I pass? Did I fail? But um, not only being accepted by you guys, but also seeing and hearing other people who don't know anything about me or the film, you know, have these honest thoughts and, and have positive thoughts about the film. And like, it sounded genuine. Uh, it was really moving. It was moving, man. Cause there was, you know, a lot of the, you really get in your own head when you're, when you're doing anything that you care about, but especially something where you've been working on it for a really long time and you've spent a lot of money and, and uh, it's what you hope to continue doing for the rest of your life. So seeing that felt like an affirmation uh from not just from one person but from five uh really uh wonderful ladies and uh and so yeah just it felt great man uh it felt really good i'm really grateful for that well, they got your film correct yeah yeah they did so what are you up to now what are you doing now i am trying to uh you know stay sane <laughs> um <laughs> no but essentially in terms of like future projects i, I see the slow death as being um I mean, obviously, there's there's more to the story, um, but outside of that, outside of the slow death, uh, I'm working. I'm developing a series right now, which is basically like a bit of a Black Mirror, the Tales from the Crypt, Black uh, Twilight Zone, gotcha, or anthology series. Uh, not not specifically about climate change, but just about of all the things that um that we have to live with that that scare us. Um, I'm working on that right now. And so the slow death is essentially episode one of that series. Uh, there's going to be a lot more news about that coming out as well, but I needed to just get the slow death out first and, you know, keep working. Well, on congratulations that. on this film. Uh, yeah. It's a really, you can tell it's really ambitious and it works and the performances are there and it's, yeah, it's, it's, Thank it's a so creepy much. film. And I think that's, that's what you were trying to, to, uh, to, to pull off, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's an, it's an innovative, great story. I love the idea, like the origin story about how you're just sitting there reading Frankenstein with uh, like within nature. You're reading Frankenstein nature. So it's like it's amazing, too. Right. Like it's like it's like almost 200 years old, the book. And yeah. uh, it still resonates still to today. It's just like it just it stands the test of time. All these yeah. all these centuries, like decades later, I guess. Yeah. I mean, where there's never not going to be hubris and and ambition and selfishness and in, in the human mind so that'll always be a relevant story for for the amount of time we're still here it's always going to be relevant yeah and we always want to like we're all we're, we're obsessed with death that's basically yeah. like human nature that's how religion was who was formed to kind of rationalize mm -hmm. the reasoning for it mm -hmm. it's that we're we are obsessed with death because it's like yeah. it's going to happen to all of us we yeah. don't know what's going to happen when we die or some people believe there's belief system, right? But yeah, nobody knows for certain, right? And yeah. uh, and with the, with your story and Frankenstein, it's like we let's we want to play with that. We want to control it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, at the end of the day, man, you know, we're we're animals too. Uh, we all. I, not to go on a huge tangent, but like I, I just, you know, if you look at a lot of religions and a lot of philosophies and a lot of science as well, it just kind of comes down to the same thing of like we're all made from the same molecules uh you know so i feel like in my opinion the best thing we can do is just be okay with whatever comes our way and okay with not knowing stuff and try and just be good and honest and true to ourselves and each other and, and the planet um and then there's also the inverse of that which is try and control everything and, and have an answer for everything and then you end up like uh penny and frank that's a that's a like paraphrased, that. paraphrased version of a door song um oh yeah 
<laughs> that you just said. Yeah. So basically, and I think it's rings true forever, right? Like till until maybe one day we'll be so smart and so scientific and we'll we'll know what happens when we die. But yeah, for now I guess we don't know anything. Absolutely, man. I love the doors too. I wish I could have had a door song in this film, but I would have. <laughs> there you go that's probably why you like them because it's <laughs> that's their theme they're talking about yeah. life and death all the time right so yeah, all right man congratulations on the film and uh, let's talk again when you make your next film we've been part Absolutely. of the anthology series thanks so much man and uh, it was great to meet you michael and uh, enjoy the rest of your day all right one two three four five six seven eight shlemiel shlemazel